live or at a different time, we just want to say we're thankful for you, no matter uh, where you're at. I know the world is continually uh, just becoming weirder and weirder with every passing day. So, um, but uh, we're thankful to be here. If I uh, haven't met you yet, so if you're you're new here, my name is Jesse, and uh, for the most part, I get the opportunity to uh, teach the Word of God here and to proclaim the goodness of the gospel. Uh, and so that's kind of my main role. And then. Um, uh, a part of an incredible leadership team here. And then uh, just want to mention as well, if you are new, and by new I mean even like within the last year. So there's several of you, maybe even two years, there's several of you who've been here for a while now and you haven't filled out anything. Uh, and so we haven't been able to contact you during the crisis and reach out to you and make sure uh, you're doing okay and all of that and to give you all the digital information. Obviously, we're not doing bulletins right now because uh, it's recommended that we don't. And so everything right now is uh, on our website and online on all our social media stuff. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter that comes out every week, it's got uh, blogs in there, tells you everything that's going on, gives you all of our missionary updates and, and uh, the opportunity to give on there, which so many of you have done a great job uh, transitioning in this season away from, from cash and check to uh, the one world government digital currency. Uh, and so we're, we're thankful for all of that. Just go to the bottom of sbctrucky.com. Put your uh, email in there, and that'll kind of uh, get you connected with those things. And then, as I mentioned, we're, um, I mentioned last week, we're currently still discussing and strategizing uh, Children's Church uh, for July 12th. So we wanna, we're aiming for it after the 4th of July, and there's a few different things that we're just got to get dialed in to make sure uh, that we do it well and we do it safely. Part of that, and I know there's many families who are still watching online simply because we don't have kids' church, uh, but, uh, which is totally acceptable. But soon, we hope, July 12th, we'll be able to launch it. Uh, we just need to make sure we have enough teachers. We need to make sure we have enough protocol and, and all of the different things there. And Joe and Abby are doing a tremendous job still putting out digital content online. So there is kids' church online for you families that want to participate in it still. And then hopefully we'll get back uh, to some kind of a little bit normal, even though Obviously, it's never going to be normal again, is it? Is it? All right, you seem hopeful. Good. 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 All right. Um, Exodus. We're in Exodus. Please turn to Exodus chapter 17. Uh, we're going to start in verse 8 here in a moment. Again, uh, let me just give you, as I try to do each week, a backdrop for those of you who aren't here. Obviously, uh, Moses, who was a Hebrew child, he was uh, uh, a son of, uh, of slaves. Uh, he ends up uh, being placed in uh, the Nile River because if not, he would have been killed because Pharaoh was after all of the young boys so that uh, the Hebrew people would not become uh, overbearing to him and that he would not get into a place where he couldn't control them. So he's saved. He's actually saved by Pharaoh's household. He ends up growing in Pharaoh's household. Even though he's not an Egyptian, he's a Hebrew. Later, through a series of circumstances, he ends up running off because he murdered somebody uh, and he runs off as an adult and gets married and then sees this bush that is burning, like the one behind me, but it's not being consumed, and he hears from God, and God says, you're my guy, you're going to go back to Egypt, you're going to tell Pharaoh to let my people go because they're my, they're my chosen people, they're my beloved people, and through them is going to come the hope of the world, and I'm going to give you a promised land, it is time to leave. And so they left, and through, the, through leaving, the, the Red Sea opens up for them, it collapses on top of the Egyptians, they continue their journey and they complain. We talked about that, how easy it is for us to complain and how easy it was for them to complain. They griped about not having enough food. They griped about not having water. And so God actually takes bitter water, makes it sweet water, gives them manna from heaven, food that comes from 
the sky. It's like, you know, an amazing experience that they dealt with for 40 years. Quail in the evening, so they had a source of meat. And then uh, he produces Moses through the staff of God, produces fresh water from a rock. Uh, We talked about that last week and how that rock literally is an example of Christ, who instead of God striking his complaining sinful people, he struck Jesus and blood and water flowed on our behalf that we would be saved as the people in Israel were saved. Now, if you remember... If Israel, if the Hebrew people would have gone north along the sea, they would have gotten to their destination a lot sooner. But God said in his knowledge and understanding of where the people were at, man, if, they, if I send them up north this way, they're going to run into a group of people known as the Philistines. And he, God literally says they're not ready for that. If they face the Philistines, they'll be crushed uh, and they'll want to return back to Egypt. They'll go back to slavery because they're not ready for battle. Now, remember, this whole journey through the wilderness, this whole journey through the desert is about God molding and shaping his people into his image, that they would be conformed to his image, that they would glorify him and literally be uh, the source of the salvation of the world, which would come through their lineage and heritage through Jesus. And now, likewise, we recognize that you and I are wandering through the desert of life. We are known as aliens and sojourners in this world. And, and, and likewise, God is molding us and shaping us to be uh, in his image in the season of COVID-19 and in the season uh, of racial tension and reconciliation in a season where we are anti-government and anti-law uh, in this particular season as, as a nation. It's just a crazy time. And it's a wilderness experience for us. And we saw how even Spurgeon, the great... Uh, Prince of Preachers said that the wilderness experience is, is like the Oxford uh, schooling. It's the educational system that God uses for the Christian to shape them and mold them into his image. And so they weren't ready for battle, the, the Hebrews. They, they weren't, but now they are. And in the text this morning, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see the people of God, the people of God come into an encounter of war with the Amalekites. Uh, now, the title of the sermon is Our War and Our Mission. Now, this happens every now and then. I actually was going to attempt uh, to tackle the rest of 17 and then jump into chapter 18, and we only finished in the first service, chapter 17, which is kind of the second part of the title, Our Mission. So you're going to get the Our Mission part next week. But if you would, uh, one of the things that we do, even if you're at home, I want to encourage you to get off of your couch for a little bit and honor God's Word here in the building if you're able to. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word. Are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. Okay, good. <laughs> Chapter 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him, and he fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it. And while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, on one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial. Here's this idea of remembering again. 
in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand is upon the throne of the Lord, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Lord, we trust for you to do your holy work in us this morning to remove, if you will, our minds and our hearts from the distraction and the hurt and the pain of the world, to take a few moments to worship you as we study your holy word. We ask you to allow us to be engaged with you this morning, to hear from you and to know you, and to leave here emboldened and encouraged by who you are. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Um, so they... They literally go to war. So there's a couple things I I just kind of want to help us understand. And then I'm obviously going to uh, practically attach the idea of the war that the Hebrews had with the Amaleks with the war that we have as Christians. That's why the title is Our War and Our Mission. Next week, we'll get into uh, Moses getting back into relationship with his father-in-law, who was not a Hebrew. And his father-in-law will come to worship God, which he didn't before. But in this particular text we see the Amalekites unprovoked, unprovoked attack the people of uh, the Hebrews. Now, here's what you need to know about the Amalekites. The Amalekites literally have some kind of familiar relationship with the Hebrews. In fact, the Amalekites tribe, they were a smaller tribe in the desert that was known for attacking other people in the desert to get their spoils, to get their food, which is what they're attempting to do with the Hebrews. Uh, and, and, and they were known for actually domesticating uh, the camel. So the camel was kind of like their, their, uh, their secret weapon. Now, I don't know about you, but there's just something funny in my mind about someone going to war on a camel. But that, that's the way they did it. It was a big deal. It was like the horse. And so here they are. They're in the desert. They know the Hebrew people have escaped. And, and here's what you need to understand. The Amalekites actually are the grandchildren of Esau. So if you remember, Esau was supposed to be the firstborn, but instead he ends up selling his birthright to his brother, and through his brother comes the Hebrew people all the way down through Jacob and Isaac, and through the Amalekites and through Esau comes Islam. So there's a split. Uh, in fact, I always kind of, I don't giggle, but, I, but knowing, knowing uh, the relationship between uh, the Islam countries and, and Palestine and Israel, knowing that relationship and how it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus and even back into Genesis, when somebody says, when a politician says, we're going to have peace talks between Palestine and the Hebrew people through those who worship Yahweh, even though many of them don't, and those who worship Muhammad, we can have peace talks. It's, it'll never happen. And the reason is because the Palestinians, the Islam, Islam believes, hey, we own this land. This land was given to us by our God and the people of Israel. Israel is actually Palestinian land. And if you look it up on a Palestinian map, you'll see that the portion in which Israel exists is not called Israel. They don't recognize Israel as a nation or as a people. On the map, it literally says occupied Palestinian land. The land is occupied by enemies because, because they don't believe that Israel should have that land. They believe God gave us this land. And the Israelites, they're in our land. Now, vice versa, 
The whole story of Exodus is God moving his people, molding them and shaping them, walking with them and talking with them to move them from point A to point B. And point B is the promised land, which includes the area that is occupied by Palestine, as well as the area that they're in now. So the Hebrew people believe all of this land here is supposed to be ours because God brought us out of the hand of Pharaoh to occupy this land to be the hope of the world. Now, there's all kinds of Bible prophecy that's tied into this one day the Hebrew people will have that land and God will deal with his enemies. But all this to say, there, there is ethnic tension, there is racism that is in here. These individuals know each other. The Amalekites knew who the Hebrews were. They knew that they were enslaved to the Egyptians. They knew that they had been freed from the Egyptians miraculously. They had definitely heard of the plague after plague after plague. They definitely have heard of the opening of the Red Sea and the drowning of the Pharaoh army. And yet here they are in the desert thinking inside of their minds, it would be a good idea to take on the Hebrew people, which seems to you and I, I think, ridiculous. Doesn't it? I mean, if I heard this as a, as a leader, I don't want anything to do with them. But yet, here's what we learn, okay? Later we'll see in 1 Corinthians that we're told, like the Amalekites, that we are at war, and that war is against the spiritual principalities that are behind uh, everything. So I mentioned in the first service how, you know, th this, is a, this is a season where if you're a conspiracy theorist, like, all of your dreams are coming true. <laughs> all of your conspiracies are coming true. Right? And so th there's been this conspiracy theory for a long time that behind our government is a shadow government. And I just want to share with you, that's legit, but not in the way you think. If, I don't know if there's a shadow government or not. I have no idea. But what I know is the Bible tells me there is a shadow government behind the government, behind the system of the world, when Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians says that we wrestle against the spiritual principalities and the dominions and the kingdoms and the cosmic powers of the world. It's the Bible saying, yes, indeed, there's a system in the world that is demonic, that is anti-God, anti-Yahweh, anti-salvation, anti-grace, anti-church, anti-Jesus. Okay, the Bible is really, really clear. There is something going on behind the scenes that you and I can't see. There's a war going on behind the scenes that you and I can't see that is happening in the cosmic realm that is anti-God. And the Amalekites are an example of this. This is why it says, if you look at a couple different things, if you look at the bottom of what we just read, uh, verses 15 and 16. Look at verse 16. I'm sorry, verse, uh, uh, yeah, verse 16 saying a hand is upon the throne, notice that language, and the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So God's saying that, that literally this war is a continual war from generation to generation. But then there's this interesting statement here that if you're reading it, you go, what does this mean? The hand upon the throne. What is this hand that is upon the throne? What is he, what is he saying here? Because we know the Hebrews aren't sitting on a throne. We know the Amalekites don't have their own throne. It literally, the hand, if you look in the original language, in the Hebrew language, in the context in which this is written, the hand is speaking of a hand of war. It's a hand of war that is against the throne of God. In the text, literally what it's saying is there is a hand that is at war against God from generation to generation. That There's a warfare against God. Now, here's the thing. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, 
One of the things you hear pastors say, right, they'll say maybe something like this. You can have peace that surpasses all understanding. You, you can have forgiveness of sin. If you come to God, man, your life is just going to be different. It's going to be awesome, right? It's the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. You know what I'm saying? I have four kids. I watch way too many. I've seen, I've seen Lego movie like 25 times. Um, and, and what happens is you get saved in said salvation. You ask Jesus into your heart, and then, and then you're just stoked to be like, I'm right with God. I'm, and, then, and then six months down the road, a year down the road, whatever it might be, life gets hard. The coronavirus hits. Things get sticky. Things get difficult, and you start to question where are you, God? I thought, I thought if I was in this relationship with you, I would have peace. And, and you, know, you know this is interesting because the Bible literally says, it literally says it, that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have peace that surpasses all understanding. Who wants to sign up for that? I do. That's like, it's definitely a world without Facebook. It's definitely a world without the internet. Okay? It, peace, just beautiful peace between you and God. Well, well here's, here's the reality of what the Bible teaches, Okay? Before you come to faith, so if you're tuning in online for the first time, maybe you're just catching a few minutes on Facebook here and you're just seeing what we're all about, tune in with me just for a moment, okay? Or, or, or if you're here and you're, you're checking out who God is, one of the things you have to understand is that when you are not in the faith, when you haven't accepted a relationship with Jesus, the Bible literally says that you are at war with God himself. That's what's taught. It says that you are in enmity with God. You are at battle with God. What that means is individuals who don't know Jesus, the hand of God is against them, and they're against God, whether they recognize it or not. The system of the world has pilferated throughout. I don't even know if that's a word. Is that a word, pilferated? Infiltrated? It's just, we just make up words. It sounds really good. And you can, you can combine them. It's awesome. You can do whatever you want when you're up here. And so you, they, they literally, like inside of their own hearts and minds, and before you came to faith, that was the reality. You, weren't, you didn't have peace inside your heart because you were at peace with God. And when you haven't submitted to the authority of God, you feel this cosmic tension, like the world is against me and God's against me. Yes. So what happens when you become a Christian, it's beautiful. What happens is, is the declaration of war was actually declared upon Satan when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead. He crushed the head of the serpent. He won the battle and was victorious. And if we believe in that victorious battle, that warfare that was declared upon Christ instead upon you, you now are at peace with God. That's what God says to the disciples. I don't call you disciples anymore. I call you my friends. We're friends. And, and so... Then what happens, though? Here's, here's the kicker. You have peace with God. That's what you want. That's what you need. But then you inherit the eternal warfare of the world. Your flesh becomes an enemy. Satan is an enemy. The system of the world is an enemy against you. Everything in the world is against you, even if it doesn't make any sense. This is what we see with the Amalekites. What are you doing? Why are you attacking the Hebrew people? These are God's people. Have you seen what happened to the last group of people that tried this thing? It didn't end well. And yet, even though it doesn't make any sense to them, they still run after the people of Israel and attack them. And my friends, when you are worshiping Jesus the way that you should, and you are standing up for that which is right, and you are doing the things that the Bible calls you to do, even if it doesn't make any sense, the world is going to hate you. 
Can, can we, can we, because here's the deal. I want to try to equip you this morning to be ready to go to war. But before I say that, you have to understand, we, we fight the cosmic powers already victorious. The battle's already won, right? We need to walk around knowing we're victorious, not because of anything we've done, but because Jesus has crushed the head of the snake and the serpent. He's victorious. He's murdered sin. He used death to kill death. That's amazing. And so here we are, and, and, and this is the idea of sin, and then here's the understanding. Moses goes up to the top of the hill, which I think, you know, I'm always trying to find things to laugh at because the world's too serious. And there's, there's something comical here. Moses tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, here's what you can do. Uh, you're going to grab some swords. You're going to take some men. And I'm just imagining in my mind, these are, these are dudes. These are dudes. These are the guys who have beards and chest hair, right? <laughs> grab your sword, grab your beard, go to war. That's the kind of guy you want fighting for you, right? Usually. If you can't grow a beard, I'm sorry. You're not as intimidating. You could probably still be a pretty good bet. I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm partially joking, okay? Um, but no, really. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> pretty stupid. Um, so he sends the guys to war, and Moses says, imagine, this is your leader. Moses says, while you're, while you're in the middle of the bloodshed, I'm going to go up here in the mountain with my staff, and I'm going to pray. And so that's what he does. And, and I just think it's kind of funny that Moses is up on top of the mountain, but, but you'll see here in a moment the importance of that, the importance of that action. And the staff, remember now, the staff that Moses had when he struck the Nile and he used it to, to bring about the plagues and he used it to open up the sea, the, the, the staff literally represents the justice of God. It literally represents the wrath of God, that God in his goodness must be angry and wrathful towards that which is sin, towards that which is murderous, towards that which is evil. And this is another one of those things in churches a lot of pastors just want to stay away from. They don't want to talk about the wrath of God. My friends, the wrath of God is a real thing. And it should be a real thing. And I'll give you an example of this, and I know it's probably all fresh on your minds. If you saw the George Floyd video and you watched the whole thing, it's almost impossible to not walk away from watching that video and say, where is the justice? And to cry out, as many people did, though they did it wrongfully, in my opinion, for social change. We need justice. Okay. God is the perfect judge. He, he, he knows that police officer. He knows George Floyd. He knows those who commit crime. He knows those who are apparently great pastors. He sees in their hearts, and one day God will pay, repay them for their right or wrong actions. Unless they're in the faith, then Jesus has already taken the payment of that. Are you with me? So he's the right judge. That's the right response. So, so one pastor says this. He, he, he says this about the idea of the wrath of God. The Bible never apologizes for the violence of God against those who serve demons and Satan, and participate in the deconstruction and destruction of God's good, right creation. In fact, we see when all things are said and done, God will utterly wipe the earth clean of it. Amen? I mean, that's the day that we're longing for, where Jesus, instead of coming back in grace and offering salvation, will come to redeem his people and to judge those who rightfully hate God as the Amalekites did. So how do we fight this war? 
right? Jesus is a victorious. Uh, the world is against us. Our own flesh at times is against us. Sometimes I personally feel like I'm my own enemy. Uh, I, I'm not doing myself any favors. You ever had one of those days where you're like, I, it would be great if I wasn't me today. And, and, but yet God's gracious in those things. Uh, how do we fight back? Number one, notice Moses is on the hill. He seems like he's not doing anything, but him having his hands raised is an example of what it means to be praying. Throughout scripture, it's actually how the Hebrews would pray. They would pray standing and they would call out to God for help. Moses is literally calling out to God for help. My friends, you have got to in this war, first of all, you're not going to leave this world alive. Did you know that? No one gets out of this thing alive. And so in the war of this earth, you have got to cry out to God and you've got to pray to God. And that has been Moses's habitual pattern throughout the entire time of Exodus. Has it not? And how's your prayer life, my friends? Because if, if you're not praying, you're going to get your butt whooped. You are. Because it's our, one of our key components. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, uh, I have two in my mind and, and one's more ridiculous than the other one. But um, I, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the meat is, has gotten quite a bit of expensive. And I know I talk about meat a lot, but it's because I worship Jesus and I, I, I love meat. <laughs> Um, so, so, so through a connection that I know, I, I, I bought half a cow. It just seemed like the right thing to do. So I bought half a cow, but here's the problem. I don't know where I'm going to put half a cow. And this has led to some just amazing conversations with my kids. Dad, what'd you buy? I bought half a cow. And in their minds, they go literal. They're expecting me to bring home half a cow alive. And they literally go, Dad, where are we going to put a cow? We're gonna... Anyway, so you know when, when the COVID stuff hit, there was a huge shortage of toilet paper, which made no sense. I've got nowhere to put this cow, so I went online to go buy a chest freezer. Guess what? You can't find chest freezers. You can't find them. Did you know that? Of course you didn't. You're not, you didn't buy half a cow. If you buy half a cow, you, find, you can't find them anywhere. So I start praying. I'm like, I looked everywhere, sold out, sold out pushed back all the way till September. I'm getting my cow in September. I can't wait that long. And so I just prayed, God, would you give me a chest freezer? Looked up Sam's Club. Don't have a membership at Sam's Club. Sam's Club has seven of them. So I bought all seven. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't have a Sam's Club card. Someone has a Sam. I'm crying out to God. I need a Sam's Club card. So I find out someone has a Sam's Club. I run down. I buy a chest freezer. I'm all excited. I bring it home. I plug it in. It's working. It's ready for my cow and my meat. I'm super excited about it. And, uh, and then I look online just to see how many more does Sam's Club have. Guess how many they have? They don't have any. Now, I know that seems small, but that's the grace of God when you recognize God's hand in your life and you're praying about anything and everything. Gratitude changes the world for you, my friends. Being thankful for the small things. I'll, I'll give you another story. So uh, my wife and I, uh, we never thought we'd be able to own a home in Truckee. And several years back, when the market was low, we were able to get in the market again by God's grace. We called out to God. And, and so we got this house in, in Sierra Meadows uh, a few years back. And it sits up against the 06, which, um, which in fire season, uh, when you call insurance companies to get your house insured, they, they basically say, uh, we're not going to cover you. And many of you have had this problem, I'm sure. Uh, so anyway, the first year we were in the house, uh, our insurance a year went from $2,000 in the second year to $4,000 a year. Uh, and I got a phone call. Um, uh, actually, it was an email from my, my broker here in town Sorry, bad news, you're going from $4,000 to $6,000. $6,000. Uh, 
in case the fire comes through. And, and you know, I'm, not, I'm one of those guys, I'm like, if it burns, it burns. I, I'll, you know, I'll be all right. God will cover us, and, and I kind of don't want fire insurance, you know. But you got to have it because we have a, you know, it's one of those things. And so I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And I couldn't afford it last year. I'm like, I can't really afford it this year. I obviously can't. So I just like, I said, okay, Lord, I, I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to call Geico. <laughs> I don't mean to be a commercial here this morning. <laughs> Buy half a cow and get Geico. Your life will be better. Trust me. So, so, so I pray and I call Geico. I didn't call Geico. I did an online thing thinking because last year I went through the same process. I actually had to get insurance from uh, Lloyd's of London, which is not even in our, our country. And, uh, and they don't have to adhere to California law and all this stuff. It's just, it's just the mess of what we're in with fires and everything. It's just part of owning a home and so I just pray. I was like, Lord, I, I, I need your help here. I, I don't want to pay $6,000. I can't really afford this. This is, this is a burden for my family. Okay, so type in Geico, and I put all the specs in, so it's, you know, like for like, and the quote comes up at $2,000. And I called Geico as fast as I could, and I said, take my money now. Take it out. And, I, and as I was praying, I was like, Lord, would you just help me out? And God saved us four grand. Now, let me, let, me, let me just share something here. God doesn't always do that, does he? I prayed the same prayer last year. He didn't, it didn't come through, and that's fine. But, but recognizing the goodness and the grace of God, and then later Brad Knoll calls Geico, because Brad Knoll, he's our worship guy, he's like, I want to save money, and they told him, sorry, we're not going to cover you. And he goes, I might just, my buddy in the office just got the same deal. I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. And it's because God loves me more. That's what I told Brad. I like, I'm kidding, I'm kidding totally kidding. Um, all of that to say, you've got to be praying with God every morning. Every now and then I get up in the morning. I got this from a pastor, Paul David Tripp. So I give the morning, the first thing out of my mouth when I'm thinking about it, and to be honest, I'm not always thinking about it. I pray, God, I recognize I need you today. Number two, God, I know I need your help. Help me, Lord. And number three, would you help me recognize that help when it comes that I would take advantage of? Prayer changes everything. So even though, even though one of those guys, along with other guys, are down there with a sword, part of that battle is prayer. And if you're not doing it, you're going to lose. Here's number, number two. Before you go to war, before you even step into prayer, don't identify with Moses first. Identify with Amalek first. You, you have to recognize that your natural tendency, even as a Christian, is to not necessarily want God, but to want God's stuff. Uh, to want the, the goodness of God, that God would serve you rather than you serving God. So it's just the idea of recognizing, yep, I'm a sinner, I'm in need, I need you, God, and to fight this war, I can't think I'm Moses, i got to recognize I'm Amalek and I'm in need of a Moses-type figure, and that Moses-type figure is Jesus. So if you identify with Moses in the story, you miss it, but if you identify uh, with being a sinner in the salvation of Jesus, you can get into battle Rightly. Here's number three. I've kind of talked about this a little bit, but just want to make this pointed for you this morning. You've got to be willing to fight back, which means you have to recognize you are in a war. A war. And you've got to be willing to fight back. You're, my friends, you're in a war. If you're a Christian, you're in a war. J.C. Ryle is a writer and a great theologian. He actually says it better than I could. This is what he says. <clears throat> the saddest symptom about so many so-called Christians is the utter absence of anything like conflict or fight. They eat, they drink, they dress, they work, they amuse themselves, they get money, they spend money. They go through a scanty round of formal religious services once, maybe twice a week. 
But the great spiritual warfare, its watchings, its strugglings, its agonies and its anxieties, its battles and its contests, all of this, they appear to know nothing at all. What J.C. Ryle is saying is that part of Christianity is, yeah, you've been saved by grace. You don't have to earn your salvation, but, but you're going to have to bleed a little bit. You know what? Is it easy to pray? No, it isn't. It's so easy to get distracted. Is it easy to sit down and read? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I can't study my Bible because I can't understand it. Oh, this is because you've got to put effort into it. Like, not to earn salvation, but because you're in a war and, and you want to be healthy and you want to be able to fight this war and you, you want to be able to win and you want to be able to see more people come to Jesus. You know, our whole community is going to just totally change the next five, ten years. And for me to pastor in this community, I grew up here. So I remember the day and age when, when there was literally a T-shirt that said, where in the hell is Truckee, California? How many of you remember that T-shirt? Yeah. Okay. Three of us. Four. Uh, because nobody knew about Truckee. Now everybody knows about Truckee. And because of COVID-19 and all the at-home stuff, do you, do you know, I was told this morning by some friends of ours who are in the real estate business, Tahoe Donner has 65 escrows in place right now. 65. That, that, that's, that's a lot, just so you know. Truckee Elementary alone has 100 new enrollments already. Already. And in addition to that, some of us in our church, we're looking to leave. I know people in other churches are looking to leave. So we're going to have this migration. You know what that means? That means our church has to position itself in this warfare to be praying for those who are coming from wherever they're coming from to our area that we would love them even though maybe we don't like them. Hey, hey, I grew up here my whole life. I know how most of the Truckee locals feel about Bay Area residents. Yeah, you're silent. Because you might have a Bay Area resident sitting next to you. And I understand the thinking behind that. It's It's... You know, our, our community is going to change. And, and you know what? You either change with it and continue to preach the, the same message that's existed for centuries that's brought people to Jesus, or you lose the opportunity to reach those people. And I don't want to lose that opportunity. So I want us to be praying. I, I want us to recognize that, that we're at war, and I want us to be able to wrestle with what it's going to be like when those from the Bay Area who maybe have more liberal uh, likings than we're used to, we need to love them. And we need to be more concerned about changing their heart from that heart of stone it talks about in the Old Testament to the heart of flesh than trying to change their politics. Are you with me? We have to be able to set aside all of that other junk and say what matters more than anything else is what do you think about Jesus? this, This makes me want to continue to do ministry. Because if it's just about pleasing and tickling ears that are already here, I don't want to be involved in that. That, That's not exciting to me. Seeing broken lives who are at war with God come into a place of peace with God is such a fun thing to be a part of. And so we have to recognize we're in conflict. Uh, One article says, from the cradle to the grave, life is war. Your soul, your mind, your body, your family, your career are all fields of conflict. Until Satan is finally thrown in the lake of fire, our peace with God will have to be a vigilant peace because Satan will certainly give us no peace if we're at peace with God. So there's a war. And that's why, again, in Ephesians it says, you've got to fight this war against the present darkness, the spiritual forces. You've got to stand firm. You've got to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and then the sword, which is the word of God. 
I think at times as Christians, we, we have done ourselves a disservice in not emphasizing enough the power of prayer and the power of the word. And here, okay, Moses is up there praying. What's Joshua doing? He has a sword in his hand, which means in this war, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. You're going to have to every now and then get involved in stuff that's kind of a bloody mess. I've been counseling long enough to tell you that there may be no blood on the walls of the office when we're done counseling, but there is blood spattered within that person's heart and soul. And once you start to reveal those wounds and you start to open them up, God has the ability to start to mend them and heal them and make them new, just as he makes the blind see and the deaf hear. But we've got to be willing to get involved in people's lives. Which leads me to point number four. Not only do you have to recognize you're at war and be willing to fight back and to take your sword and fight, you're going to need help in this. I mean, I think it's interesting that, that, that really, like, like, the one who seems to be doing all the physical work is Joshua. He's got a sword in his hand. He, he's, he's cutting that thing into flesh. And, and really, all of it, again, is an example of, of what's happening spiritually. Behind the scenes, things are being cut to pieces. If, it's, if anyone's going to be tired and exhausted, it's got to be Joshua, man. If anybody needs his hands held up, it's, it's got to be Joshua. But no, 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 it's Moses who needs the help. Moses is fighting deep. He, he's in the midst of it, man, and he's standing up there with a staff in his hand, and he's calling out to God, and two men come over, and somehow, whether it's two men or more, they move a rock over that's big enough for him to sit on because he can't stand anymore. He's too tired. His feet are aching, and his hands start to come down, and the battle starts to, starts to be overtaken by the Amalekites. I mean, could you, could you imagine if you're that guy? These are your brothers in arms. You've sacrificed everything to see these people get out of Egypt and into freedom. And every time his arms are up, his people are just doing a great job. Every time he gets tired, they start to get overtaken. I can imagine Moses just doing everything he can. Have you ever done that little thing? You try to keep your arms up, you know, and just, just burns forever. Or, or have you ever done the thing in the doorway? You can do it when you get home and you push on the doorway as hard as you can for like two minutes. Have you ever done that? Again, I know I'm being dumb. And then you walk out and, and your arms just go, woo. That's what Moses should have done. But <laughs> he's, he's tired. And he has other able men. You're going to see this in chapter 18. Other capable, able men who come alongside of him to fight that battle, to lift up his arms so that he, so that he can have the rest that he needs, that the people of God would be victorious. It, it, here's the thing you need to know. You you need other strong Christians in your life to fight with and to pray with. Uh, well, I was at a birthday party last night with a bunch of the, some of the guys at the church, and we all social distanced outside on the grass and talked, and it's just good to just talk about life and the goodness of God and, and how God is working in our church and where he's working and to trust the Lord and to not just talk all the time. I mean, it felt so good to have a conversation that wasn't COVID-related but just God is good related and God is doing something related and, and the struggles of life and what it's like to raise kids and all, the, all those things that come with, with just life. You need people around you. And so here's the deal. One day, and it's not yet, there are people right now online who are tuned in because they are vulnerable. If they get this disease, they'll die. And there are people who don't know anything about Jesus that are watching right now because, because it's safe for them. It feels safe for them to watch online than to come in this room and maybe feel judged by you. Or me. I just rejoice that people are listening. I'm thankful that people are tuning in. But at some point, at some point in the future, when this thing is behind us, we can't be content 
for long seasons of watching church on a TV. Even though we may need it for a season, you might be sick or you might be unhealthy or you might be fearful or you might be caring for someone who's sick. Watch online, please, but at some point, and it doesn't, have to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be right now, right? It's at some point in your walk with God, you'll grow enough to realize, I can't do Christianity by myself. Or I'm going to be defeated. Life is going to be too hard and too difficult. If, if you don't have friendships in the church, you've got to fight to find them. So I'm going to put a little bit of onus on the church. Church, you can't be content just to be friends with just the, your small group. You got to reach out. You got to go outside of your circle. You're busy though. I get it. And some of you are like, I'm not attached with anybody in the church. I've had people leave here. They've left our church. I can't find any friends. I can't find anybody that I know in the church. And to that is, maybe, maybe we didn't do a good job, but some of that onus is on you too. You have to be willing to engage with people. You got to be willing to get uncomfortable. Hey, I'm an introvert, man. I, I am not real good at meeting new people. I, you know, Talagate day and nights. That's how I feel. What do I do with my hands? What do I do? You know? Some of you got that joke. Some of you, some of you. It's, it's hard for me to get to know new people. I love talking to non-Christians, but it's hard. Relationships are hard. And in the church, it takes time. Right? Guess what happens when you have family? You hurt each other. You wound each other. You make mistakes. And that's why we have to see that the battle is the Lord's. It's already victorious. So we can be gracious with each other when we don't always do it right. Because the church isn't going to always do it right. I, I, I keep telling people right now, the season that we're in right now, I can't win. It kind of feels good. It's like, well, I'm going to lose no matter what. I, because, because if I open the church, you shouldn't open the church. If I don't open the church, you should open the church. We open to the church, and I have people in our church who are really, really unhappy that we have social distancing at all in the church. Why isn't every row open? You're being fearful. You're being, I'm not afraid. I'm just trying to be as wise about the thing as I can. Do the best thing. Everyone's trying to do the best they can. Every store owner wants to be open. They, they want, people want to make money. I don't know if you know that or not. But nobody knows what we're doing. But you know who's in charge? You know who's in control? You know who's got us? You know who's holding us? You know who's protecting us? Christ, who's won the battle for us already. So you can battle without being fearful because the battle's already been won. Amen? If the worship team would come on up. Um, we're going to sing. And, and, and as you, you leave here this morning, my overall hope and understanding that this is our battle, it's really the Lord's battle, but that as you would, my hope is you'd leave kind of just strengthened to go into the world and to fight, not with your fists. <laughs> Don't be that guy. But, but to go into battle with love and long-suffering and kindness and compassion with prayer and sharing the word of God with every opportunity that is given to you. Lord, we thank you that um, if you're for us, no one can be against us or stand against us. You're the, you're the God who stood against Pharaoh. You're the God who stood against the giant. You're the God who stood against legalism and the Pharisees. You're the God who stood against Satan and crushed his head for our salvation, our benefit, 
and your great glory. And now we sing, giving you the attention and the the love you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.